Good morning, everyone. Um, if you guys notice in your bulletins, uh, Paul is supposed to be preaching this morning, and as you can see, I am not Paul. Surprise! <laughs> um, I ask that you keep Paul in your prayers. Um, in the middle of the night last night, his grandma passed away. So um, I said, okay, I can, I can preach for you. It's no problem throwing a sermon together, so bear with me, and uh, hopefully it's not too rambly because <clears throat> it was the middle of the night. So <laughs> um, Paul really wanted to talk about um, the challenges of Lent, and so and I'm going to try and focus on that. Um, okay. You know, when I was younger, I heard a lot about this thing called New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that before. Um, but when I was younger, a lot of people would always talk about, oh, I'm going to change this. When the New Year starts, I'm going to lose 40 pounds, or I'm going to walk health outside, and I'm going to be healthier, and I'm going to be more organized. And usually they would come up with this list, and three or four months later, if you asked them how that was going, they would say, huh? Uh, yeah, I gave up on that like two weeks in. Um, and I, I never really understood why people made it resolutions. Um, but now I realize that I, I really don't hear about people making New Year's resolutions. Maybe they do and they just don't tell me. Um, but usually when I hear about New Year's resolutions, it's about making some kind of crack about making the resolution and then breaking it. So I never really understood why because... What's the point of deciding I'm going to make this big life change and then not follow through? Or why even bother with the big life change? And I realized that um, with the beginning of a new year, people kind of look at the fact that it's a new beginning, an opportunity for them to have a clean slate, make different choices, do things in a way that might bring a year of less strife, less trouble, um, maybe less frustration, more joy. But I think sometimes we, we give ourselves these long lists and we forget that maybe it's easier to just make one little change as opposed to 50 or 60. Um, but I've also realized in the last few weeks that I may not hear much about um, New Year's resolutions, but I've been hearing a lot about Lent and what people are giving up for Lent. I hear the conversation Almost every time I turn around, someone's saying, so what are you giving up for Lent? Or, oh, I'm giving up meat. And somebody else will be like, yeah, well, I'm going to give up chocolate. Even this morning, I had a little kid say, I'm giving up whining. So <laughs> I'm sure a parent is really hoping for 40 days that they get that. <laughs> um, but I don't really understand, or maybe what I thought Lent was about and what other people are thinking Lent is about seem to be two different things. And um, I realized as I'm listening to people that I think my understanding might have been a little off. Um, I'm on Facebook every once in a while, every day. Um, and my news feed for the last two weeks has just been full of, well, I'm going to give this up for Lent, or I think I might give that up for Lent, or what should I give up for Lent? Um, you know, there's some denominations that celebrate Lent. They honor it. They really think hard about what it is that they're going to do. And then there are other denominations that don't even, it's not even a blip on their radar as far as honoring the tradition of giving something up. Um, 
I wanted to understand this more. You know, is this something that I should be doing myself? Is it something that I should be teaching those around me to do? Should I be encouraging people? Um, so I started doing some research, trying to understand what it's all about. Um, I did a lot of research, and I got a lot of data, much more than I will share with you today. Be thankful. Um, so what I've come to understand is that Lent is a time that we, I guess in a sense, deny ourselves of an immediate desire in hopes that it will bring us closer to God, to take us deeper in our relationship with God. So I'm thinking, if that's the purpose of Lent, to bring us closer to God, then how exactly is giving up meat bringing me closer to God? I don't know. Chocolate? I don't see. I'm having a hard time understanding that. Um, a couple of days ago, just before Lent, actually, so more than a couple of days, uh, one of my youth was writing about how she was going to be a vegetarian for Lent. And um, I got a lot of responses. The first of which was from her sister. And her sister said, um, the purpose of giving up something for Lent is that it's something that is preventing you from having a better, a deeper relationship with God. The youth's response to her sister was, well, mom told me to give up chocolate, so, you know, I don't know. Um, this began a very long list of comments, some of her friends supporting her and her decision, trying to give her advice on how to still get protein um, while she was giving up meat. Other people saying, are you sure you want to do this? Giving up meat means no bacon. And as we all know, bacon makes everything good. So... Um, for her, it was it was a struggle. But what I noticed was she never responded to her sister's original um, point that whatever she gives up is supposed to bring her closer to God. I thought that was interesting. I think it's a hard question for us to answer. What separates you from God? It's hard to answer because I don't know if we really feel like we're separated from God. That what we're doing is distancing ourselves. We go to church every week. Some of us read the Bible every single day. Some of us read it weekly. Some of us pray every day, every hour. Um, a lot of us are involved in committees at church. A lot of us are out there doing good, helping other people. So it's hard for us to think, oh, there's anything in my life that's keeping me from God, right? Most of the time, we're thinking, we love God, we're good, we're on the same page. Um, but if you look at it, those are all things that we do. Those are all our own actions. Where's God in that? You know, how, it, how are we inviting God into our lives? How are we opening ourselves up, making ourselves bare for God? Um, what the scripture said this morning is that there were certain things that God was saying, hey, if you do this, then this will happen. So what were those things? First one was trust in the Lord and do good. Second one is take delight in the Lord. The third was commit your way to the Lord. And the last was be still before the Lord and wait patiently for God. If we trust in the Lord and do good, God will make sure we have security 
and we will have a place to live and a community to live in. We have to trust in God. We must put more than just our faith in God. We must know that God is there and God will provide for us, will take care of us. Because of that trust, we know that God will surround us with the people that we love and then with people that will help us when we're in need. That when we're struggling with something, when we have a death in the family, when somebody gets sick, there are a group of people that we can turn to. The second part of that action is to do good. You know, we do a lot of good in this church. We feed a lot of people. We reach out to a lot of people in the community. We care about a lot of people. And we try to take care of their basic needs. There is more that we can do. God wants us to do a lot more than giving people food and taking care of their shelter and their basic needs. There's one basic need that we all need, and that's to feel wanted, to feel loved, to feel like somebody cares about us. And God saw it with Adam. You know, God saw Adam was alone and was like, ah, that's not going to work. We need to make a partner for Adam, hence Eve. So if that's what God wants and God knows that we need that, that's what we're supposed to be doing. I want you to take a few moments and look around at the people in, in this congregation. Go ahead. Take a moment. I want you to notice the expressions on people's faces. Look at their body language. You know, a lot of people just started smiling. It's because I just made you get nervous. So, um, But really, look. Did that smile go to their eyes? Or did it just stay at their mouth? Do they look uncomfortable? Do they look excited? Like they're just, I need out of my seat. I'm so excited. Or they look like something's going on and they're trying to hide it. Is there something that you can do to bring somebody peace, to bring somebody happiness, to lighten somebody's load? We are God's hands. We are supposed to be doing God's work. When we do something for somebody else, when we say hi to somebody, when we say, hey, what can I help you with? When we open the door for somebody, that's God opening the door for somebody. That's God helping them carry their load. And we can share God's love with each other that way. It's with God and through God that we can provide that security that people need, the security that people want to know that they're loved, and to know that they are wanted, that when they can't make ends meet, that there's a group of people, I'm looking at all of us, there to help. That's the point. Um, So doing good means that we care for the whole person right in front of us, not just their basic needs, not just because they're hungry and their stomach is growling, so we're going to feed them. We care about everything, their heart, their soul, their mind, all of them. So if we're at our computers and we're watching TV or we're scrolling through our emails on our cell phones and there's a child of God sitting right there in front of you, are we close to God at that moment? Or are we distant from God? If we're paying attention to our busy schedule and not that person in front of us, how far away are we from God? 
Should we put down our electronics and pay attention to the human being before us? I think God would say yes. That's what you should be doing. Um, when we trust in the Lord and we do what God wants us to do, which is caring for other, one another, seeing one another, loving one another, our hearts change. We take delight in the Lord because we feel love from others and we feel, we feel that we can give that same love to them. We enjoy living out God's will. And guess what? Our desires became, become the same as God's desires. And you know, God just loves making your desires come true. God loves answering your prayers, especially when they're in sync with God's. We are closest to God when our hearts desire what God wants. But how do we know that we desire what God desires? One of the best ways to know is to commit your way to the Lord. That means giving your life over to the Lord. Making your decisions based on what God wants you to do. What God wants for the world. And what God would care about. It's more than just saying, what would Jesus do when making a decision? It's saying, is this what God wants me to be doing? It's saying, does this honor God? When I decide not to do the dishes, am I honoring God by leaving my house messy and leaving it for my spouse to come and clean up? Am I honoring God when I cut somebody off on the freeway or when I don't let somebody in when they're trying to get on? Am I honoring God when I am rushing through the grocery store and I see that there's obviously somebody looking for something and they can't find it? And you just walk past them. God loves us and wants to be a part of our everyday life. God does care about our needs. And God doesn't want us to be alone or to carry our burdens by our own strength. We can fully trust in the Lord and fully commit our lo- ourselves to the Lord when we accept that God gave us this community of people to support us. We are all here in this church right now because God called us. There's something inside you that was saying, come here. And you came here and you heard something saying, this is your home. This is your family. The people sitting right next to you care about you. They want to know what's going on in your life. We all do. It's through the Holy Spirit that we are connected to each other. And it's through the Holy Spirit and through God that we are given the gifts the knowledge and the ability to help other people and the desire. When we trust in the Lord, we see each other through God's eyes and we love them the way that God loves them. And we know that our desires and theirs will be answered. Best of all, God will act. God will make sure that we are taken care of. When you are struggling or celebrating, God is there with you. So the last action in the passage is this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This is what we need in our lives to be able to trust God, to give our lives over to God, and to delight in God. I asked earlier how you know you're separated from God. Well, do you allow time for God to speak to you? And I'm not just talking about praying. I'm talking about allowing time for silence in your life to hear what God has to say. It's turning off all the noises in your life, the radio, the TV, the cell phones, the computers, putting books aside, 
finding the quiet place where you're going to be undisturbed and allowing yourself to just be silent. In this day and age, that's a really hard thing to do because there's always noise everywhere you go. And it's really hard because it seems like everybody wants your attention. But most of all, God wants you. And we think in our lives that maybe we work on the assumption that God is yelling at us and is going to yell over all of those busy things and all those noisy things. But really, God doesn't work that way. It's when we're quiet, when we're silent, that we can hear God. I'm sure a lot of you are like me. Uh, when you are quiet, your mind doesn't exactly stop. It just keeps working through all the things that you need to be doing. I need to do this, I need this. I have like 15 mental to-do lists in my head. And that's hard to st- shut that down. But once you do, it's in those moments that you feel God's presence. When you know that God is there with you. And God can tell you what it is that you're sh- you should be doing. <clears throat> We call that time Sabbath. Um, God took that time. We look at Genesis and we see that what did God do after the sixth day? Oh, he rested. <laughs> did he say, oh good, my work's done. Yeah, no, God took enjoyment in God's creation. So Sabbath is not just taking a break, stopping and like, okay, I'm done with all of this. I can finally stop. Sabbath is taking that time and relishing in the things that God created, relishing in um, that time that you spend with God. And that time gives us that time to uh, retune our lives, get in sync with God, um, to find peace, rejuvenate, relax. um, Let all those worries kind of drift away and find out what is really what we're supposed to be doing. So a couple weeks ago, I was um, driving home from school, and it was raining out. It was late at night. I get done with classes at like 9 o'clock at night. So it's late, it's dark, and when it rains, not easy to see. So everybody goes a lot slower, thankfully. Um, so I was driving along, and I was on 90, almost to exit um, 11, where I turned to come up to my house. And there was this police officer on the side of the road with its lights flashing My assumption usually is, oh, somebody got pulled over or there was an accident. Since nobody was really slowing down, I figured it wasn't an accident that somebody got pulled over. So I was really surprised as I was driving by, and I saw this police officer out in the pouring rain changing the tire of somebody whose tire had gone flat. And I thought, wow, that's, like, really amazing. Especially since, you know, that's the second time in one day that I saw somebody doing something for somebody else. I mean, this police officer probably was supposed to be out catching speeders and, I don't know, doing whatnot. Um, But this police officer took the time to stop, get out of their car in the pouring rain, and change a tire. Instead of just letting that person sit there for a long time or calling AAA. That, to me, is pretty amazing. Earlier that day, as I said, it's the second time that day I saw something. Um, Before it started raining, it was really windy. And I was walking on my campus, going to my library, and um, I up ahead of me, I saw this sign that was on one of those, um, 
like plastic sign holders, so it was really flimsy. Nothing was really weighing it down. Um, but the sign was directing people to a certain place for a seminar that they needed to go to. And at the same time I was walking up to it, there was a guy that was a little bit farther ahead of me walking up, and we kept seeing the sign fell down. And so this guy bent down and picked it up and sat it back up. And as he took a step away, the sign fell over again. Um, so he reached down, he picked it up, set it back up, and as he started to walk away, the wind came up and blew it down again. So he's like, all right. So he picked it up a third time, and he held it for a few moments, and the, the wind stopped. And he was like, okay, we're good. And I was like, well, he's taking care of that, so, you know, we'll just keep on my way. And he and I both started up the stairs, and we got about 20 feet away when the wind picked up again and knocked it over. And we both just kind of looked at each other like, seriously? So he turned around and went back. I'm sure he had something that he needed to be doing, either studying or going to class or something that he was going to end up being late because he kept going back and fiddling with this thing that didn't want to stay up. But I think what was amazing was that, you know, yeah, it was just a sign, but he was doing something for a group of people that had the sign not been up, wouldn't know where they were supposed to go. And so he was taking the time to make sure that people would know where they were supposed to go. And it may have made him late for something, but it gave him the opportunity to help somebody else. Both of these people showed what it means to be in sync with God's will. They were more focused on other people than the tasks that they had at hand. They took the time to know God's will and did all the good that they could. As we move forward into Lent, what, do you, what can you do to make space for the stillness needed to hear God? If you haven't given anything up or even thought about it, what would you do? What would you eliminate from your life? Is there something to eliminate? And then what would that look like? We are God's people. God loves us. And that means each person in this congregation, in this room right now, is a number one priority for God. When you look at the people around you, at work, at home, in the grocery store, what do you see? How can you make their life just a little bit better? Can you adopt them into your community and the group of people you love, even if you'll never see them again? Before you leave today, talk with a few people. Find out how they've seen God And tell them how you've seen God in your life, in work, wherever it may be. Talk to them about what's going on at home and ask them if you can help them with anything. Take a few moments in the friendship hall, grab some coffee, and then find somebody and go deep. Find out what's going on below the surface. Beyond just, hello, how are you, great. Find out what God desires for those around you. So remember for Lent, your challenge, if you choose to accept this, is to trust in the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. And be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Amen.